Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. dead uh, from Gen Con. Brains! <laughs> and I, I, I think I'm actually physically really about dead. Because we have just finished up Savage Saturday Night. It's now past 12. It's yeah. almost 1 o'clock. I've got an 8 o'clock in the morning Bureau 13 adventure stocking the Steel City using the D20 Modern. So, But we've been running a lot of Savage Worlds and getting a lot of feedback. Right, John? Yep. Yep. Some of it's been good, some of it's been bad, but that's okay because that's what developing is all about. All and feedback is good feedback. All feedback is good feedback. No Thank such you. thing as bad press. Yeah. That's right. The worst time to get feedback is after you go to press. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, hold on. Let's tell everybody who's here. So, there's okay. Bruce, obviously. Bruce is here. This is Blix. This is John. This is Trav. This is Amber. And we got a special guest. This is Steve. Steve who? Steve Wallet. Steve, what are you bringing to the table? I've been working on a uh, drama deck, very much like the one that's in um, Savage Worlds, that's able to be used with any game system. I have a copy of that drama deck, but I really haven't had a chance to look at it, so tell us what it does. Well, it allows the players to take control of some of the subplots within the game and to make uh, major changes in the game universe. kind of takes some of the weight off of the DM, but at the same time it puts more weight on the DM because he has to be able to adapt to the various things that the players do with the deck. I actually have a copy of it here. Um, As you can see you on the can, podcast. You, uh, you can't see it, but <laughs> you might see a card in there while we're talking that, okay. you, that strikes your fancy. So I've been using it with the games I've been running. Tonight I was running a Hardware Hinterland game. They were going up against Dirty Pierre. Uh-huh. They, they managed to capture him, and they were going to interrogate him, but none of them had the interrogate skill. So I was like, okay, well, this should be fun because, you know, he's, he's a tough guy. Well, I threaten you with this chopstick. <laughs> right, exactly. How about that? So they pull out the card. It's basically an interrogate card where you get a critical success. You just, they just play the card and they get it. I was like, right, now I gotta just give them everything. So it, I, I did. I had, I had to give up every bit of information and it shortened the adventure by about 25 minutes, I would say. Well, that's the, the best way because I, I use the Savage Worlds Adventure deck and on those I say, okay, ask questions. I only give information based on what questions they ask. They don't ask the question, they don't get the information. Well, no, they Unless ask it's good, obvious, right? Yeah. Well, they ask good questions. I mean, like, yeah. they're. So anyway, so the deck, it, it does it. It keeps the game master on his toes. Right. So just making a quick perusal for this thing, initially I thought this was just kind of an event deck where you take this thing, you throw it out there, and you change the scene by saying this happens or that is in, in, injected in the situation or you know a romance happens, somebody gains a special ability, this stuff like that. But it's also more than that because it also allows you to say for the GM to say, hey, you know, this is this is subtly changed, you know, where uh, more damage occurs or uh, maybe uh, the the adventure has to go in a new direction, more yeah. romantic, more uh, maybe less uh, stressful. You manage to uh, convince somebody that you're 
not a bad guy or you're too important to uh, be treated in the fashion to which you've been treated. Yeah, Steve and I, uh, Steve gave Amber and myself a sample card each. Mm -hmm. And the one I got basically for that, I think it's that encounter, cancels out anything magical and also anything electrical, which depending on your type of campaign could really just, you know, screw the pooch because yeah. if you're like running a yeah. Bureau 13 game, forget it. <laughs> And Amber, you got right. the... But that, I got uh, strength. Double your strength for one round. Make it count. Right. But that force lightning suddenly isn't such a threat anymore. All right. Right. So, so like, well, like, and it makes sense, too, because, like, and if the game master can explain it properly, like, the, they're talking about any electronic device. So, the Bureau 13 team goes into a hotel, and they're using the PKE meters and, and all that. The curling sunglasses. Yeah, the yeah. curling sunglasses and stuff, right? And something happens, and all the equipment shuts down because there's some kind of surge. Yes, and that's magic. And it basically, the curling sunglasses, from what I gather, are technomagic, or is it a purely technological detect magic? It detects auras. Detect auras, but still. Oh, the curling it, detector? It yeah. actually it detects all kinds of unusual energies. But is it is it technology or is it magic or, or is, is it technomagic? Or is it a hybrid technomagic? Well, generally speaking, it would detect an electromagnetic uh, or a magnetic resonance or something like that. It's it's using a magical crystal, okay. essentially, to, to cause this. So it's resonating in the sense that it's saying this is something that's either natural, like electricity, or it's unnatural, like magical electricity. Okay, but it runs off of magic. It still runs off it still right. runs off of magic in the sense that it is respond it, it's a more of a it's a more of a magical device, right? right. Well, that's what Travis saying. A magic that that card would shut down magic devices, right? Yeah, magic and electronics. So right. either way, depending on the makeup, and, yeah. and GMs could even do it differently. They right. could say it's a purely technological device, right. or a purely met, or the combination of the oh. two, which I call right. techno magic. Any three ways, that card is your your glasses go you done. All right, but it's not supposed to be treated as the, the curling detector is not supposed to be treated as if it's magic because it responds to things like magic and things like that. It's supposed to be like a, a tuning fork. Okay, right. a tuning fork is not magical. It just responds to how sound hits it. Each of these crystals are different. Inside, there's like seven crystals in there. Each one is attuned to a different kind of of energy. You know, and therefore they respond that way, and then it goes into an electronic device, which you know basically cha sees changes in the crystal. Oh, it's still shut down, and, and turns. Yeah, so if it's, way, would, if it's an electrical yeah. device, definitely uh, it wouldn't work because it is ultimately an electrical display device, and you wouldn't get anything yeah. off of that. So now, see, what would be really cool is if you were playing, like if you were playing Bureau Thirteen, and you were playing like a vampire or something, and a Bureau Thirteen's coming in. Let's say you're playing the other side of the the coin, right? And they're coming in. You go, eh, yeah, they're not going to see me. Yeah, well, that's, and then the game master has to think on his toes. You know, he's like, oh, how am I going to deal with this guy now? Yeah, right. And, and, <laughs> right. Well, that's fine. And I've said that before that you got to, if you're a game master, you have to learn to think on your toes. Right. You just and one of these things about these cards is that they're effects of note. They're not so minor as to give you a plus one on your roll. <laughs> if you use this card, you're going to change the situation. Yeah. And I think that's good for the players because then they feel like they're. They're getting some some value out of this thing, you know. A lot of these cards that I see in drama decks and various types of things, they're so minor that unless you stack them three or four deep, right. you don't really get anything happening. So that's why when you told me, you said, or was it you, John, said that uh, you don't want to give more than one of them out in the session because yeah. they're so powerful, they yeah. change things so much, that there's no way that, you know, it gets ridiculous. 
Well, it, it gets ridiculous. It's like all of a sudden everyone's got superpowers and things are going in all kinds of crazy directions yeah. and the game's out of control. Like everything else, it's like, you know, drugs. You know, <laughs> drugs are very, are the, you know, the reason they're dangerous is because they're strong. Right. You know, because they, if they're not strong, they're not effective. It's the same way. Right. You know, you don't want to overdose. You don't want to underdose. You want just the right amount. But one of the things that uh, I'm looking at with the cards, I really like the Savage Worlds, is where you give out multiple cards to someone, but they're only allowed to play one per game session, mm -hmm. period. And a game master, because there's so many of them, there's 162 cards there, right. can pull out the cards that are most damaging for the type of campaign he's running, mm -hmm. and still, he can pull out 50 cards, he still has over 100 options for the players to use, so his campaign won't necessarily get derailed by the deck. You really need to think on your feet with this. I mean, it really opens up the sandbox. Yep. Okay. Well, that sounds great. We should definitely go and, and check these out. And I think people who are listening to us, where can they get these? Okay. Well, they're on Kickstarter right now. And later on this year, I'll have them set up where they'll be able to buy them online on demand. Okay. Are you going to be, is it going to be like through DriveThruRPG or are you going to have your own site? I'm going to do it through DriveThruRPG. Okay. All right. Well, we will definitely keep you updated when that becomes available. And, thank you. and thanks. Well, thank you for putting something into our game that makes it more fun because that's what we're all about. Yep. About making your game more awesome and anything that really makes a big change like that is great. Is awesome. Yep. Okay. I like those cards. Oh, so do I. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's while well, we talk about the gaming we did here. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Gen Con. All right, John. You actually ran some scenarios that have never been run before. Well, not, I actually I actually have run them before at Dragon Dragonflight, but uh, never before at Gen Con. So uh, right. okay, all right. But have you run them under both D twenty or the original system and Savage no, Worlds? The, no, the Savage Worlds. The Savage Worlds. Okay. Well, tell us about about the adventures you ran and how how did did the savaging of them work? The first one was, was RSVP Barrington, which actually was an original. Bureau 13 adventure from what from the Hunts book, I believe, and I basically updated it, um, updated so that it, uh, it it works a bit more with Savage World system. I made I made a new floor map for the for the hotel, the, the haunting of a hotel by some ghosts, and the, the bureau agents got to figure out what to do with them. Okay, so we have a haunting. The haunting takes place in a hotel that's hosting a paranormal convention, right? You found Paracon One. Right. So, <laughs> so you have a whole lot of hooey going along with a whole lot of booey, yeah. right? Because the scenario, the scenario set up, you really can't tell. The basically, you put on your Carillion sunglasses. You use the Carillion meter. It pegs. You really can't get a reading. You try to use Detect Arcana, which is their form of Detect Magic. You get a headache because there's so much crap going on. Because there's, I was going in the hotel. There's also you have a hotel full of fake and potentially real parapsychologists, mm -hmm. real, real psychics, real stuff. They're all in one spot, and they're all of them getting headaches trying to do stuff. But you should still be able to get a reading if you get close enough to them to see what's real and what isn't real, right? Yeah, you can tell who, who really is real and so forth. But also, this is set in Seattle, so some of the characters, they're the Team Fremont, mm -hmm. actually had connections they could use and talk to these folks. So, like, Stefan Renault, he's a mage. He's also connected to the, uh, the White Witch, the White Witches of Fremont. Which means he's also connected to a bunch of other white covens. Okay. So, so he used the connection edge that's mm -hmm. part of Savage Worlds. Okay. Mm -hmm. How does Savage Worlds either help or hinder, you know, this particular Bureau 13 adventure? That's a good one. Um, 
the game system, you know, everybody has abilities, okay? A yes. lot of other game systems, they're broken out into a lot of sub-abilities where you mm. have very specific Skills, things you can yeah. do. And every game system basically tells you what you can and can't do. Yeah. Now, the players, they look at a list of skills. And they don't see those skills down there. They say, I can't do it. A lot of times, things become trait mm. tests versus skill tests. Yeah. Uh, and trait tests are things like your strength, your intelligence, your spirit. Were the players able to understand that well enough to be able to say, hey, yes. you know, there's nothing I can't do. Let me go and do this. Let me try this. Let oh, me yeah. try that. Did it give them any more flexibility and, and than previous game systems you would have run this under? Did it run faster? It definitely ran in the time a lot, and they were actually able to resolve the situation. My, my Fremont team is actually well, well balanced. For They have several people who have, they have some overlapping skills. They can do various things. The person playing uh, Gwen Stacy, she's an airhead, and she's playing like an airhead. But she's playing like an airhead who can pump herself up to up up to plus eight charisma if she needs to, and get what she wants done. But you know, which is a really amazing yeah. bonus, right, in <laughs> Savage World? Oh she's, God, she, yeah. she's a telepath and, a, and an empath, so she could actually bump herself up like that. All right. Yeah, she was good. She was really yeah, good. She was. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. Okay, so it sounds like playing it under Savage Worlds, the players, mm -hmm. some of the players really were able to grab the ball and run with it. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Blix, how about you? All right, so I ran two games. I ran my, my uh, German one, my Deutschland Uberalis. The other one, the Land of the Lost Lightning Crystals, they both run better under Savage Worlds. They were literally designed for Savage Worlds, though. I'm, they're basically. Uh, pulp adventure, Indiana Jones type adventures, mm -hmm. and Savage Worlds just fills into you know fits into that that mold perfectly. The Land of the Lost Lightning Crystals. If I'm going to run that as a four hour block, I need to put more into it because it goes so fast. When you resolve conflict, it goes so fast that conflict doesn't really take time up the way it does like in a D and D campaign. You know, if, if you have a a D and D game where you know, they're going to fight the big bad at the end, well, you better start that when you still have an hour and a half left. Or you won't finish, you know, you won't finish that battle in your four-hour slot. Savage Worlds, you know, a battle like that's five minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's over quickly. I had enough for them to do, and it worked out really great, and everybody had a great time. They were actually digging on Hardwire Hinterland. Mm -hmm. So I was a little worried about that because it's, it's kind of abstract. I was afraid that they would be it's, like... It's an odd place. Yeah, yeah. But they liked it. They thought it was really cool. They actually were, were very interested in it. Pickham and Peter, I did another scenario, which was uh, Victoria Victorians. Normally, I run this one with IDET2, my IDET2 team. Uh, but this one, I decided to change it up and ran it with the Victorians, meaning IDET1. And uh, if I had done this like in D20, uh, we would probably still be doing the op doing the, 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 the first day. We spent an entire week in, in the game, and it took four hours allotted. But if, you know, there's, a, there's a chasing at the very beginning of the game, uh, of the game where if we had done D&D &D with managers, we'd still be playing a dang thing. Right. Because Savage Worlds, especially the, the uh, deluxe version, has a really good chase system where basically you, you, it allows you to do things like a running battle or running chase scene and come to a resolution within like four or five rounds and it's quick, quick, quick. You know? Oh. And you don't feel cheated in that quickness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The first adventure I ran was Burn the Witch, which the question mark at the end of it, and that was the idea that you were going to go someplace and you're going to find somebody on trial for witchcraft and are you going to rescue them? 
but uh, I always believe in giving them, you know, giving the people, since most, a lot of adventurers have a lot of talking exposition in it, I like giving them a little something in front to, you know, for the people who really like combat to get some, some goodness there. So as soon as they come out, they run to a bunch of Indians who are being attacked, who it looked like they're being attacked by wild boars, when in fact is they were hunting these wild boars as a right of manhood. And so there, and some of them had already been wounded and knocked down. Some were even been killed by this attack. And it was this, it was like three giant boars versus three Indians at this point. Oh. Not a good not a good combination. No. Though one of them actually was a hero. So uh, he was the one supposedly leading them on this. The other two were young braves who were supposed to be being blooded, you know, right. by the rite of passage. Well, the first raider team comes out and just basically just goes crazy on these guys. These, they're, the, the martial artists had the most fun, I think, because Savage Worlds encourages this concept that's called tricks, which is to say you get to do some kind of special move that you get to describe. So it's not just a matter of I move over and do this. He said, I run over and I try to kick, you know, this, you know, do a, a kick on this boar and knock it out. Well, he failed that role, but, he, but then he said, well, since I'm already up on the side of the boar kicking him, can I like do a flip up onto his back? And I'm like, sure, go ahead. So he makes an agility check and bam, he's now balancing up on top of the wild boar <laughs> right. in the middle of combat. And he's loving it. He's like, you know, woohoo. Meanwhile, the rest of them are like firing on him and blowing the heads off of these wild boars. I would imagine that they'd have to take accuracy checks. <laughs> uh, to, what, to miss the uh, the to Indians? Sure that they hit the boar and not him. No, it's the Savage Worlds. They have, they have a rule for that, though. If you're shooting into an area where you have like a friend, if you fumble the roll, yeah. you automatically hit that friend. Right. That's that's how they resolve that. Right. You know, in other systems like D20, it would be a minus two to hit. In this particular case, these guys... Four. Minus four, I'm sorry. My, yeah. my, <laughs> my shot negates that. You're right, right. minus four to hit. So in this particular case, um, they, you know, the boars were big enough that that really wasn't a problem. They were shooting them. They took the boars down with some pretty good shots, but there was one boar that just wouldn't get go down and that left the one NPC Indian who was the hero the chance to basically do the jump up in the air with the spear and just basically ah, stake ah. his head to the ground so everybody got a chance to really shine in that situation Sun Yuri ran over and started healing the, the braves that were down and was able to actually resuscitate a couple of them that would have died otherwise and so it wasn't a situation where only the combat people got to do something then they, we had a little parlay situation where the, the head Indian of course is furious at them for doing this, uh, yelling at them and telling them that they were they've ruined the right of manhood and how dare they encroach even more uh, on their culture as they already have. You know, go back to your colony where you came from. You've caused enough trouble. And they're like, oh, colony over that way. Thanks very much. See you right. later. And off <laughs> we were go. looking for that. We were looking at anyway. So <laughs> off they go. And at which point they go find this colony and it's sort of a 17th century colony on the coast of. Uh, South Carolina in the Americas, where they found a young woman who has been shipwrecked, and they're blaming her for everything that's gone wrong yeah. in the area, and she's on trial for witchcraft, at which point they probably wouldn't have done much. I've run this adventure a couple of times. It's really hard to get them to pay attention to her because I'm trying to make them not be so stereotypical. Oh, she's a witch. Burr, burr. So the, the priest is actually tr saying, well, I think that enough bad things have happened that maybe there's something going on, so I'm going to purge her of evil. So he's going to put her through a two-week ordeal, at which point he'll either declare her clean or burn the witch. This is to give them time to talk to people, get involved, decide which way they want to go. Well, they decide to pull out a crystal, do a friendsworthy check, 
oh, she's framed for it. Well, we got to rescue her now. Uh, so, yes, of course, you know. before I gave them like two weeks to work with. Before the night is over, <laughs> they've got the colony in ruins. Oh, they're they're hot footing with her in a in a wheelbarrow off down the fringe <laughs> path back to the portal, and that's pretty much how we ended it. <laughs> uh, Savage Worlds it it was done. really good at handling things like grenades and and things like that. They all had miss. They all decided to bring missile launchers and grenade launchers because I gave them that deck that right. had all the bureau all the fringe worthy equipment, which also included a lot. Of grenade launchers and long missiles are like, oh yeah, I'll take one of those. Oh, right, of course. So, and of course, you know, it's like anything else. You have one, you got to use it, right? right. Of course. So you yeah, so the long missiles were going. And, and what Bruce is referring to is actually is a prototype deck we put together so that you have all the cards you need for a six six person team. It's a equipment deck. It has right. all the variations for the uh, XMH, so you can you can, or it's in the bullpup or it's in the carbine or it's the sniper rifle. Right. But the point is, it's a it's a card which has all the Savage World stats that they need in order to use that piece of equipment. It's Instead of having to write down their character mm-hmm. sheet, especially in a game where perhaps they're going through a lot of different equipment changes, you can just hand them the card, they keep it with their character, and they can swap it out anytime they want to. Yeah. Uh, and I can actually probably add another 11 more cards to that deck mm-hmm. with some more other things. So I'm thinking include the Amusa Savage kit, some other things, you know, things, things, they, incidental things, not, not weapons, but things they can use to help people with, you know, first aid kit, you know. Oh, but they don't need that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Hot air balloon. First aid kit. What's right. that? Right. right. Yeah. I actually think it would be better if, if we had, you know, a lot of other incidental exploration equipment because yeah. when you go to a convention, unless you write it down on their character sheet, they really don't think about what they right. might want. Because when I looked at the, the, the list of equipment for the uh, standard uh, loadout, they saw gas masks. They're like, wait, we have gas grenades. Hey, gas masks is a good idea. Because they <laughs> nobody right. had thought to write down gas masks. Even though they were taking tear gas and smoke and all these right. things, nobody decided to take light, night vision goggles. I pretty much gave that to them. One of the things in Fringe where this kind of tough is to get people to see the kind of equipment that will really help them out without just writing it on their, their, their character sheet. Yeah, there's two, there's two cards. One is a standard load and one is combat load. It basically right. includes what you get in each one of those. Right. So the cards, I think, were very helpful to the players because they could look at that and they said, yeah, yeah. And they were set up for the entire team. So, you know, it wasn't one of those situations where one person has a piece of equipment and nobody else knows they have it. So nobody else could even suggest that they use it because it's on one person's equipment sheet and nobody else is reading that sheet. Okay. It was a, it was on a team equipment sheet. And so they all looked at that and said, Hey, who has this? And who, you know, why don't we use this? Someone has this, you know, and so, and oh yeah, that's me. So as Cards, you can look across the deck and say, "Hey, you got a grenade launcher, right? Yeah, which they could, which they could see because the guy's carrying it. Yeah, right, right. right. We did yeah, have. Let one. me just put that in my, uh, <laughs> my pocket. Here. Right, right. We did have one person who said, "Hey, you've got six grenades in your grenade launchers. How come I can't have six law missiles?" <laughs> right. I was like, well, for a couple of reasons. One reason is because that'd be an awful load to be carrying around, and secondly, right. is because it you know it does so much. Obviously, it does so much more damage than a grenade launcher that you definitely uh, there's no reason for you to be carrying that. Right. So that was, and he was fine with that because after he fired off his missile launcher, he proceeded to pull out his pistols and start going crazy. You know. And the thing was is that they were they actually weren't shooting at any of the people in the town. They were just trying to cause mayhem, you know, just to get these people running around like crazy so they could abduct this girl and take her off. And and which worked very effectively with, with the combination of the tear gas, the smoke, the grenades going off right and left, the stun grenades going off right and left. Nobody actually got hurt. 
Why have I heard this storyline before? <laughs> <laughs> they should have that team in my adventure. Yeah. <laughs> Atlanta lost lightning crystals because we had, they fought raptors, slee stacks, and a T-Rex. Was the T-Rex smarter than all of them? No, I played the T-Rex pretty stupid. Oh, okay. No, I did. You know, rawr means I love you, dinosaur. Right. Rawr. I did have a clapping joke in the middle of all that. Okay, fine. The T-Rex. Okay, right. clap. Right. So that that was my first one. Um, here at Savvy Saturday Night, I said, okay, let's do the Meller Escape from Hatsumi Base. And uh, this is truly only a con adventure because as anybody who knows Fringeworthy, if the Meller get loose on Earth, Earth is doomed yes. because, first of all, we're very, very at each other's throats. I mean, it, it, you know, we live, live in a world where we like to think that we're at peace, but in fact is there's more wars everywhere. There's still way too many people who've got fingers on the on the red button. So the Meller got out, you know, if, especially if they got out early before we really knew what the Meller were, that they would just infiltrate, take over, and just, you know, pushing buttons right and left. It would all be over. And that's the so, premise of this adventure, right? I mean, right. It's, the idea it's is, when they don't know what Meller are yet. Right. They re- they, they've heard about some ter- terrible thing called the Meller, but they don't really know that the Mellers are changers so and this is in the early campaign within the first five years right either yes. yeah so but they so they bring them back they put them in containment because they've taken over the the, the form of a refrigerator team and they get to choose from team one and a whole bunch of other people like the victorians so it's a very nice eclectic group and the, and the biggest problem they have i saw most of them was is that they were scared even though they were playing these big huge combat monsters i don't really think they understood how tough they were oh. because they were just terrified of the idea of running out where people had guns and could shoot them and and you know and then in a lot of games that makes sense i mean you run out you get shot you know uh and uh, maybe that's a fault of my own i just really didn't sell it enough that how tough they were but half of the team i mean basically ended up just staying in there hoping that they would get taken off into secondary you know, confinement where they could break loose. But the problem was that some of them had already escaped at that point and were running around causing mayhem. I can because t- two of the players, I know two of the players, uh, the, the one couple, the guy with the wafers here and his wife and his wife and girlfriend, uh, basically their experience, friends with the players. They know about Meller. They know Meller are crafty and devious. Right. And don't actually do the Roaring sort of thing, unless they really absolutely have to. Right. The other ones that played, well, except for except for him, he played. He, he went raw to the wall, but they right. started playing KG after that. Right. Yeah. Well, people it w- didn't play KG. Basically, went raw and right. What happened mostly was is that they they used the Meller persuasion ability, which is a uh, you know in, in Savage Worlds you have dice that are various levels and they have very high dice in this, and they were. Against normal people, especially considering the fact that all these people were very famous, very valuable to Earth. Everybody had a desire to protect them, keep them safe, you know. Once they actually tried to start persuading them to help them, protect them, and stuff like that, they found themselves being taken out of, cont- out of containment into other places where they then could escape. And then when they did turn in the Meller, they were also surprised to find out how quickly they were basically able to demolish even seasoned fighters who came up against them because they just are just... We were using the Great Miller, which are huge combat monsters. And these two guys... I brought in these two guys that were like, you know, veteran 
combat guys. They had D12s in their fight and their shooting skills and and like that and he and and good stuff like that. The Miller still knocked them. They they, they wounded, gave them three wounds in one in one round. No trouble at all. Oh yeah. Just, and, and I oh, and one guy popped the top in one guy. Yeah, literally ripped <laughs> his head off. You know. Because his dice just exploded like crazy. Well, I'll tell you, John... It's just a flesh room. <laughs> John did not mess around when he made the Miller for, uh, for right, Savage yeah, Worlds. Some things. There, there are some things in there that actually, like the, the, the fear... It's actually, a, it, fear effect has a slightly different effect. I'm going to fix that. So the next version will have, have, have that fixed. Right. Well, there's some, And this was great as a playtest because yeah. we got to see a lot of things in action, you know, with these guys who are such brutes to say, hey, is this too much? Or in a lot of cases, is it too little? And how to best resolve these things? Bruce, you know, it probably translates well because when we did this last year at DragonCon, uh, we were doing it with D20. Right. I was playing a Meller in D20 and we were just, me and Mike were just, tearing through people. Right. I mean, just literally just yeah. obliterating people in no time. Right. And these were some seasoned, like, you know, right. high-level characters. Yeah. Basically, the truth of the scenario is, is that if you wait long enough for the humans to amass against you, you're cooked. But if you manage to get out of confinement early and just keep going and just basically throw caution pretty much to the wind... Or if you manage to somehow get out of people's sight long enough to change form into somebody that they don't expect you to look like, it's golden. You practically could walk out of the place. Oh, yeah, we did. How long does it take to change form? It's a free action. You basically just change. Oh, you know, to absorb somebody new, yeah, that's, it takes a little time. It, it would take a few minutes to do the initial change. Got in a closet. Yeah. Hit out for a few minutes. Right. I was, I was letting them change you know, uh, to a form that they knew. As yeah, a, so it's like oh no, if it's a form you already. Yeah. Booth, yeah. rip off your skin, brand new skin underneath. Right. Huzzah! If, right. if it's a form you already know, yeah, that's quick. Yeah, they just basically they let them do that as a free and action. Technically, the entire game lasted from from start to finish in game time. What a minute? No, no, it it, it lasted <laughs> in, in real time. I would say you know because we we got to a point where we had to stop. Yeah. All right. So I would say that the whole thing, la- I mean, once it started going, I'd say it was a total of maybe five five minutes. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I, I don't know how long rounds are. In- six seconds. Really? Six seconds? Yeah. Okay. D20, yeah. Not D20, but Savage Worlds. Same, same Savage Worlds. Okay. okay. Well, that was Pretty very quick. Bad. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, literally, once they broke out, it, the whole thing resolved in, like, less than five minutes. Yeah. My so. ultimate goal was to... Uh, Get get a hold of Gerald Borden. The guys in in the environmental suits weren't showing up because they hadn't had time to get there. I mean, there were guys trying to put on the environmental suits, then travel from one place to another over the over the distance of this thing, and they're like, "We have to keep making these bigger checks. We just keep laying there, waiting for them to come in, so that we can go and attack them." And I says, "Well, they're not there yet." <laughs> so, and that was our fault, uh, my fault, I should say, because I didn't really. Some of them were new players; they didn't understand how. Even if six second rounds, that means you know and it's I knew better, ten I, rounds in a minute. I was, so I was one of the gilly people. I was actually doing that, but I was hoping to trick people. And you know, the biggest problem that they had was that I don't think they understood how quickly they needed to move, or you know, what their window of opportunity was. And I think that's a problem, perhaps, in all games that have short rounds versus long rounds. We definitely always had that problem in, in the original Tritech system where the rounds were only two seconds long. It was like, if you're not in the room, you might as well not even be in, You might as well go home tonight. Yeah. Because, first of all, it was a system that took a while to do resolution. But secondly, I mean, 30 seconds later, 
you know, you, yeah. okay, you, you know, it's now two hours later in player time. You've done 15 rounds. Okay. Right. You know, so they're, some, like, someone, they're like 30 people dead. Someone who's, <clears throat> someone who's, who's out in the car on the curb is now just walking into the house. Right. <laughs> An ogre sling knife. I have a knife. It's plus 12 against ogres. You're not there. You're right. outside getting drunk. Right. So that that was one of the things that was happening was is that the ones who finally did escape were spending too much time not escaping. Their best bet was literally to run the length of Hatsumi Base to get someplace where they could bust out. I was trying not to use my knowledge of the game. Because yeah. if, if, if I would use my knowledge, the first thing I said, where's Gerald Borden? Yeah. And then I would have just made a beeline for his office. But then you would have had to get through his elite guards. They're on the outside of his office? Some of them were on the outside of the office. Because I was just thinking this going straight through the rooms. Go through the walls. Just don't even bother going to the hallways. Just go through the walls of each one of those offices and keep going north. Right. Well, I, I think you would have found it a little bit harder to go through the walls around his office. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's he's pretty much got a safe room up there. And the Bureau 13 adventure I ran was the Chessex house. And the Chessex house was a ghost story about a ghost that was inhabiting a house that he had made, this guy who was a big executive in the Chessex rail line. The ghost was? Yes, the ghost was. In his life, in his living time, he was an executive. Started from a, as a conductor all the way up. Done a lot of bad things to a lot of people to get to where he was. Not, you know, a, a real company man, okay? And he basically knew he was going to go to hell. So he's he made his house essentially into a prison for his soul to keep him from going on to his just reward. <laughs> the problem was is that after being in the house for a while, his spirit became rather possessive of the house as well. And when someone broke in who looked an awful lot like a vagrant, the very same type of person he had been fighting to keep off the rails his entire life, he basically manifested as a train and just ran over him and tore up his own house a bit, but basically it got the Bureau's attention. So they show up, they come in and see all this stuff. I'm sorry, but I understand he can manifest and, and, and like through illusions and spectral magics can shapeshift, but... How can an ethereal creature like a ghost cause physical harm? Well, a lot of spiritual things like ghosts have telekinetic powers. Right. Teleca- it still require, it, wouldn't it still require use of something else? Like, I, I may be wrong in this, but I always was under the assumption that the telekinetic powers went through, there's a glass right there, I can make the glass move, not I can become something solid enough to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Well, in this particular case, he could. Okay. That was the idea. We wanted him, I wanted him to basically turn into a big, you know, mur- uh, murderous train. It's basically know. like a big ball of telekinesis. But it, it's the, it was the wrong size. I mean, he's a, it was a train that was small enough to fit inside the relatively wide quarters of a house. It, so it to be psychic damage, too. The person believes he's being run over by a train, therefore he, he suffers the damage. As though he's well, being... well, his body was dismembered, so there was yeah. a lot of it. And the, to- the floor was torn up, and there were grooves cut into the uh, uh, cement base for the entire house. There was some real, real damage. Yeah. So, so it was more like a poltergeist. Very much like a poltergeist. Okay. Yes. Sir. And you can double talk to this one by saying, because he sealed his cell 
piles up, he he couldn't dissipate like normal ghosts do over right. time. He doesn't want to. He, he concentrated. If he it left, then basically he'd be sent to hell for his sins. This particular group spent so much time on the investigation. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That was great that they did that. But unfortunately, they used up all the time for the session to do that. And they never got the big resolution at the end where they got to fight the ghost. Even though I gave them the, the Mark II Spook Smasher and all this great ghost-busting gear, they never got a chance to use it, which was a shame. And there were things that I could have done to make it better, and I realized after playing it to make that happen within the four-hour period. Yeah, I ran live at RSVP Barrington at a Dragonfly before Gen Con. Two teams, their approach was very different. The first thing they did was, before they did anything at all, was get everything they could good on the hotel barricade and, and the owners, and they wanted the whole night. They wanted to know exactly who, who kissed who, who gave birth to who, who owns what. You know, they wanted to know. They wanted to know everything. Mm-hmm. The second team, they didn't start asking those questions to about halfway through the adventure. <laughs> you know, okay. And gave that. Yeah. And is, that was bad. No, it still worked out. Okay. It still worked out, but they basically didn't realize that the hotel was being sold, and who was being sold to, and right. stuff like that. I thought the people played the characters very well. Mm-hmm. I think they used their special abilities like the, the hacking, the telekinetics, and the telepathic powers of Gwen. And I think everybody used their powers and their, their mm-hmm. characters very well. They made a very good transition into Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I'd say that they were much more effective in Savage Worlds with those characters than they had been in, in the D20 Modern, possibly because I think the powers in D20 Modern aren't as powerful. I think that the abilities at the levels in which these characters were in D20 Modern are lower. We're going to find out because this morning uh, I'm going to be running them again through another scenario, which is actually the Pittsburgh Ripper. We're going to see how they deal with that because it's definitely going to have a combat end to it uh, unless they're very, very smart. And uh, we'll see how it all turns out. Well, Steve, you played one of the the people with powers. Yeah, in the, I uh, did. the and Barrington. Yeah, April right. yeah. And um, yeah, I I found that the the way the powers worked was very nice. It wasn't over the top or anything. It was very very smooth. And one thing I really liked about uh, John's story was I know he was directing us towards a certain end, but we found another resolution for it. We didn't have any combat. It was just we resolved it, you know. And I really liked that. Yeah, there was chasing where you know. Somewhere along the line, the woman cries, My baby's got a gun! There's a little baby sucking the business end of a 9mm. But, you know, <laughs> he's one of the ghosts that picked the pocket of Gwen's purse and dumped and gave the pistol to the baby. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, so it's worked out pretty well. I think the demos have done really well. Richard had a good time running his adventures. He had, like, 14 people for the first one. I don't know how many people had in the second one. Uh, 12. Right. There, I mean, it's, it never ceases to amaze me how people line up for Richard's games. I mean, we, we say the thing that, you know, we, you know, if you ever get a chance to play with him, he'll knock your socks off. And apparently he just continues to deliver. We, I mean, we have asked him so many times saying, why are you sitting behind the table? You should be out there promoting your games, running games. And I'm so glad that he's ran at least two adventures here at Gen Con because, yeah. first of all, there are people who have not been able to play a game with him literally for decades and got to play this time. Oh, wow. And yeah. uh, secondly, there's a whole new generation that are suddenly saying, hey, these are these are really great games. Let's go and get a play. And them. Richard did play original flavor. Uh, yeah. Fringeworthy. He was playing. Really? Yeah. He and was playing his original flavor Bureau 13, original flavor Fringeworthy. Right. Wow. <laughs> right. Trav and, and Amber, let's talk about 
What you guys did? What we did, we were at the podcast meet and greet over at Union Station. And it was media guests, some podcasters, bloggers are supposed to be there. And just it was get to know each other and trade notes and business cards and, you know, um, network. And the two people that I knew that were there were Mark Kinney mm-hmm. from All Games Considered. And I finally got to meet him because we had him on a previous one. And Jess Hartley was there, which I finally got to meet her. That was cool. And she didn't recognize me without the pith helmet in my Facebook picture. But, <laughs> but the moment she saw his badge, she was all like, oh, yeah. <gasps> and of course, introducing Amber to the public because this was her first. It was, it was her deb. It was her debutante. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm coming in. Because this Jeff Con is a first for myself, Amber, and Blix. This is the first time we've ever been to this con. So. Yeah. John, I know where you sleep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, she was there very briefly. She was there with a friend named Bill, and just she was talking to some people, and I actually was hoping to get her here, and just I turned, and she's gone. So she was there very briefly. Mark and I talked for probably about an hour. Cool. But he had to he had to leave like maybe an hour ago mm-hmm. to head back home. So yeah, sure. Yeah, I talked to him earlier on Facebook, and I was trying to get him to come. Yeah. To this, and he, he said he would try and make it, but he didn't think he'd be able to. He showed up at the beginning of, of the Savage Saturday Nights and said, "Hey, I just wanted to say we stopped in. I saw you. I wanted to, you know says it's great to see you." And now I'm handing over the meet and greet where he got to see him over, see Trav. Yeah, he, I walked up to him and I recognized that. Oh yeah, right, yeah. Bruce said you were coming, so I was. Like, Right. So you got lots of people that we can get bumpers from, so we can share bumpers back and forth. Uh, Mark and Just were the only two people that that were of no media that. All right. I saw and I, I didn't. There were so when we first got there, there were several people sitting around a table, and we exchanged names, we exchanged where we were from, we exchanged cards. Yeah. But conversation for nobody really went into what their stuff was about I mean, I, I, what they I, wanted. I told them about the podcast, what we did, and you know what we covered, and everybody else was... It kind of felt like their intention was just to say, hi, how are you? Let's share a drink. Not, hi, let's network. Okay. Uh, yeah. So we have to be a little more proactive after this and go in and actually yeah, I, seek I, out I, those said, bumpers I, and stuff. I did let them know what it yeah. was about for the people that didn't know. Yeah. I mean, Mark right. obviously knew he was on sure. the episode. And we, have, and we haven't had his bumper on for a while, too. Mostly yeah. because the last bumper I have is like, you know, back when they won the uh, any. Yeah. I'd like to have something a little bit more recent. So anything else from Gen Con you'd like to talk about that... that um Sites and so on. I've walked around a lot, you know, like the board game area and stuff like that. I see that, you know, that a lot of things that we're talking about now by adding in cards and other things like that are really people are going a lot toward using all these different parts to try to bring more value to their games. I'm like, you know, kind of old school. A role playing game, it's got a book, it's got a character sheet, maybe it's got a map, a couple of handouts, none of this card stuff, none of these, you know, dice towers and all that stuff. Those are all just. You know, fluff. Well, and, gimmicks, and yeah. gimmicks, and 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 stuff. You know that that takes away from the purity of the game. You know, and I think that uh, I've been proven wrong. I think that I'm seeing a lot of stuff out there that are really making a difference. Ways of adding freshness to a game, taking a game and being able to send it in a different direction by using some of these things. Well, anything that is done. I mean, a genre of music or a hobby has to grow and adapt and change, or otherwise it becomes stagnant and dies off. So the dice right. towers and the cards, such as Steve, your drama deck, which 
it is fantastic. It just I'm reading through these cards earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah. And this could and it could apply to any genre. You could do it to fantasy. You could right. do it to you know, post-apocalyptic, good. modern, yeah. Yeah. science fiction. So it, all purpose, very good. And just you have to change things because you have to entice these new players. And if they see that it's so what I'm looking for here, stodgy. The newer players are just going to go. Oh, I mean, something yeah. that the dad and grandpa do, you know. Right, but it's also because they're playing card games. So when they play a game that doesn't have any of those kinds of elements in it, a lot of them feel a little bit alien. You yeah. know, the game's a little bit, they, they're, they're lacking the things that help them easily ground themselves in the game. But if they see something like Steve, that oh, it has cards, and these were looking dice. But it's got the cards. Okay, yeah, let's... Right. Well, plus also when you play the game... I don't game, necessarily agree with you. Okay. Um, I traumatic experience I had in high school was this blonde cheerleader seriously asked me that when I was playing solitaire in the hallway by myself, she seriously thought that the computer game came first. So in my experience from what I've seen, it's younger generations looking more towards the electronic, Mm -hmm. less hands-on, more electronic, more virtual, more it's being done for you. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the gimmicks isn't necessarily a way of trying to enhance the game for fluff, but it's trying to get our next generation interested because with them being so interested in it electronically, they need that, that eye candy and the, the things to play with to, mm-hmm. to have something to relate to. Okay, right. I, what I meant was that they see the cards and the younger people go, Oh, I play guard games. Oh, this role playing. Well, they use cards too, so it does attract. That's I, I may have just wires man got crossed just now, but that's what I meant. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely think that it'd be great for us to, uh, you know, try to use any of the tools that are out there that are electronic and to try to create some stuff that's on desktops. You know, maybe uh, a bl- hero aid. I think has a bunch of right. apps for and of course uh, right. player and DM genie. Right. You don't want to see my desktop. Right, but what I'm saying is, is that if we if we go and pre-configure these things, yeah, and so when people come in and say, "Hey, I've got an iPad. What can I add to my iPad to help me play this game?" We can say, "Here's a bunch of stuff. You know, it doesn't have to be much. Just something that that basically says, here's something that can help you, and it has you know all this the basic stuff. This one of the reasons that I created my character generators yes. back some time ago was because people had. You know, stuff was spread over a dozen books, a dozen supplements, a dozen games. And uh, in Fringe Royale, the Fringe Royale character generator had like 460 weapons in it. It had probably 2,000 pieces of equipment in it for purposes of adventuring. And people, you know, now some people spend an awful lot of time creating their characters then using that. But the point was is that it gave them a whole lot of stuff that they could use and then... If they had computers, it you know they, they they would show they would show up with these big long elaborate characters and they were ready to go. I mean they had put the work into it. They weren't spending the time at the table, so they were able yeah. to really leverage the time that they were able to get together with their friends to be engaged in effective role playing, which is what we were. I was I, trying. I to was going to do the joke. Oh come on! What kind of person uses a computer at their game? Bruce and John know that that the, <laughs> the significance of that joke. Um, <laughs> there is a, a an app that my. Game Master for my Saturday game, Kara uses, it's called Hero Aid, mm-hmm. and she uses that for her Pathfinder campaign. And I mean, I'm willing to sit there and watch her, okay, click, 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 
click put in information during like okay set up initiative, but in the end it makes everything just go pop, 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 and just run that much smoother. So it's a trade off. Okay, you may have to input stuff during the game. Wait a minute. Okay, you got an 18 initiative, 19, 14, but once that's there, everything lines up. And just, it's fantastic. And mm -hmm. it, this Pathfinder game is just going so smooth. Mm -hmm. So these computerized aids to help game master and determine, you know, even character generation such as the one fruit, they are helpful. And of course, younger people are probably getting that easier than older people. So the whole, whole yeah. dog do tricks. I mean, they don't even know how to write with a pencil anymore. So they, 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 but they can do it with a stylus. Oh, they don't teach cursive anymore in school. My son just went through, you know, he's now a junior in high school. He's never he's never written in cursive in his life. He never had to sign his name for anything. He knows how to do a signature, but that's it. It's a signature. It's not, he doesn't know how to write cursive. He did not learn. This is an A, upper, lowercase. I think he learned it in the first grade, and that's it. Everything, everything after that was typed on a computer or written in pencil in block letters. Good. I hate cursive. <laughs> I mean, it's, liter it's literally dead. Cursive was the worst part of elementary. I hate it. I hate cursive. It in right. Fourth What's grade? the phrase? I'm not. I'm not swearing. I'm speaking cursive. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what like you know people hand me something written in cursive and I can't read the damn thing. Yeah. But, you know. That's but, where the old joke where doctors can't write. Yeah. Right. Right. So, but but coming back to this whole electronic thing, you know. Um, Steve and I, our group, we've been using Obsidian Portal and uh, and Skype to game with. And John, you've been using I've Skype. I've used Skype as right? well. One of my gamers is oh, in yeah. California. <coughs> so that that extends into that whole electronic, yes. you know, AIDS. And with the Obsidian Portal, when Pete suggested initially, I, I was really resistant to this thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, really resistant. Because I'm like, you, I'm old school, you know. You roll dice, you have paper, and that's it. Right. And... We used it for one campaign, and I start to see the benefit of it. And the campaign that we're playing now, I spent six months working on the Obsidian Portal to set the entire campaign up in there. Mm -hmm. So when the game began, I didn't have to tell people to go read anything. I didn't have to give them books. I didn't have to prepare anything. It was all there. They just had to get on the computer. They had. To oh, I saw the site. You did all that. Good job. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, him, John helped him out. Yeah, with my that, friend John okay, did a right. lot of but, data entry for me. Um, right. But the beautiful thing in that is, is that you have total player buy-in because, you know, when as, as game masters, you do all this work to create this world. Even if you're using a pre-gen campaign and stuff like that, there's stuff that you do to make the world right. unique. Well, unless you're going to sit down with the players for hours and talk about all these different things and they're expected to remember it all, you put up an Obsidian Portal site, right? They can read it at their own time. And also... If you're sitting at the table, that information is available to you. It, it, they put it up because that means it's stuff that your character can know about. Right. So if we're sitting at the table and we're gaming and Steve mentions a world, mm -hmm. you know, some neverness or whatever, um, I can pull up my laptop and go look at it. I'm free to do that. Right. Because that's considered my character's general knowledge. Mm -hmm. yes. So I can go look at that and go, oh, yeah, we want to go there. Right. And and I've, <laughs> I've seen that not only in D&D game that I run, but I say people who are playing other things, they're bringing their tablets, they're accessing online yeah. stuff I've left for them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's it's not on a piece of paper. They have to remember it's in a binder. They have to pull it out. You know, it's, it's a lot more accessible to them. And it, more importantly, because it is a shared environment, it allows them, per, gives them permission to add more more stuff. All of a sudden, yep. I'm not the only yes. person writing the stuff for my campaign. I have I'll a Facebook group for my Friday Night Fringe Worthy campaign, and so everybody can trip. Well, not my nephew. He's hardly on there, but he's in the group. He has a thing. And just, they all will sit there and comment. If, if I slip up, 
they're there to let me know, okay, no, you can't go this far because this happened. It's like, okay, fine, omit that part. But yeah, just even a Facebook group is amazing for this because mm -hmm. you have contact with all your players right. in between games that reminds every other week. Right. So you can sit there and say, okay, well, it'll be this game date on this day. You guys, what are you doing? And right. I think I've seen like 10% of the people who, you know, uh, of the booths here uh, at Gen Con has had some kind of electronic product, oh. you know, that that they were using, you know, to, to somehow enhance their game. Uh, lat, I mean, and before, the only people who had any kind of electronics were the people who were literally selling electronic games. Yeah. Okay, now I'm actually, I've seen all kinds of shared desktops. I'm seeing, like, all kinds of, of, of so, you know, libraries of stuff that you can use as pictures. I mean, people are starting to bring this stuff available to the to the games, and it's great to see it. I mean, Gen Con is a great place to see that. Those of you who didn't get to come, I'm sorry because there's been some great stuff in the newsroom. You said that you were like going through sensory overload when I called you. Yeah, oh, this God. is my yeah. It, it it's my cons that I go to that Amber and I go to Detroit area, twelve hundred at most. Gen Con is thirty six thousand attendees. So that's a factor of twenty. The dealers room you can't do it in one day, really. I tried. I did my damnedest. <laughs> yeah. It kind of felt like one half of just one of those rows would be what we would typically have for a whole convention weekend from what oh, we're used for to. For our dealer room. What, what makes right. it a Dragonflight thing you were talking about? Oh, yeah. I was looking at over the just two pages. There's, what, like 100 games or more? Yeah. That's almost all Dragonflight. He's talking about, he, look, he was looking in the, the, the Gen Con events pages, mm -hmm. right? And he just opened it up to the two facing pages. And that's all of Dragonflight. And that's only just two pages out of this whole catalog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a small phone book of, of games that people are playing. You know, card games, board games, role-playing games, live Different action. Events, yeah. yeah, sure. You know, seminars, um, all kinds of stuff. And that's, you know, that's great when you can get to... So if you can get to Gen Con, I really recommend it. I'm part also of Dragon Con, which is coming up in about two weeks. And it's also going to have a ton of stuff. They're not as big in the gaming as they are here in Gen Con. Uh, it's more of a media convention. Yes. However, I think they do a much better job of podcast stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, they, they have tons and tons of tracks about whatever you really like. They even have a gaming track. They have an electronic gaming track. They have a whole... I'm running six games, six game sessions at uh, Dragon Con, and you're running, running two? Three. Three? three. three. So, I added a new one. So we ran ten at Gen Con. We're running nine at Dragon Con, therefore. So we're really, guys, you know, if you get to uh, Dragon Con and didn't get to Gen Con, you're going to get almost as much Tritac goodness as you got here. Yeah, th so. this, was a, this was a tour de force of Tritac because Rich and his wife was here. Terry Williams was here. All five of us here were here for the podcast right. together for the first time. Yep. The closest that Physically. We, yeah, the, the closest we've had as far as people together for the podcast was Rich's wedding, Right. Myself, Bruce, and John, I met them. And then oh. when Blix was in the Detroit area, what, a couple months ago? Yep. We recorded a podcast. It was him, him, myself, Amber, and Eric, my co-host from my show, were all there. This right. is the first time all five of us have been together. So the sort of momentous occasion for the podcast and for TriTac in general, because we just, okay, boom, we're all here. Let's just spread the word. And I keep using this term that TriTac is sort of role-playing's best-kept secret, because I've been told by you guys... 
What? There are people going, what? Tritech's still around? Bureau 13 still around? We have to explain. Yes, we have the D20, yeah. the Savage Worlds. Richard was saying that there were so many people walking up to his booth saying, you're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are times we say that. I've said that. I'll get say. <laughs> well, Tritech has not been at Gen Con, you know, in its own booth for a long time. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it, partially because of all the things that was happening uh, to the implosion after Magic. Yeah. Okay, but also because when Gen Con had a huge inflation of, of prices for their tables. Yeah, I heard about the difference between getting a table at one of our local cons and then Rich told me, right. after I picked my job off the floor, right. I'm like, what? Yeah. Right. But I expect yeah, you said that there scale. is also an additional charge for the to have electricity. Oh yeah, they've room. always had an additional charge for that. So the point is that for a small press publisher like Tritac and stuff like that, it's very hard. It's a very to, big excursion. It's, it's, it's basically you're you're losing money coming here. You're doing it as a promotion, and I think it's worthwhile to do that. But it's one of those things where you have to come here. You know, understanding that, you know, and I'm glad that we got to take the hit in order yeah. to get the name out, right? Yeah. And that's, but that's also one of the reasons why we wanted to have a lot of game sessions here. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter if you're here to promote your games and you don't run them, then yeah. you're you're missing out on yeah. your on on the biggest promoters you have, which are the people who are going to play it, who are going to get out, they're going to get on their own podcast, they're going to get on their blogs, Word they're going to on mouth, Facebook, yeah. they're going to say, hey, we had a great time, why hasn't any, you know, why haven't we seen more Bureau 13, more Fringeworthy, more Hardwire Hinterland, you know, I think that's great, I've been telling Richard to do a lot more of it, I think that, you know, we should do everything we can to, to do that and to pu publicize, you know, our successes, and we hope that if you have played any of our games at conventions, that you'll get on our Facebook, you'll get on podbean.com and uh, you know, tritaxsystems.podbean.com uh, and, and say, hey, this is really great. Get it onto iTunes, please. please get on iTunes. iTunes. Yes, reviews I, are great. I don't care if you don't like us. If you just get on iTunes and leave us a review or just say anything about us, it raises our visibility enormously. Mm. And these games, which have been around now for 35 years, Making people happy, uh, having a good time, they'll continue to be here, you know, because you know we do it because we love it, but also because we see value in these things, and we hope you do too. So, you know, if you do, then you know, the responsibility is yours to get out there and help us promote this and make you, you know, find more players in your area to do it, introduce more people to your game, start a campaign. We've said before, we will run. You know, if you have trouble starting a campaign, we'll come over Skype and GM some sessions for you to get you guys going. So we're here to help you. We want you to help yourselves. We want to promote our games, and we want you to have the best game possible. So yeah. I'm going to do a little self-plug. I've been running uh, Hardware Hingeland, and it's been... Is being put on the uh, Sunday Skypers. Right, and we added your adventures to our mm -hmm. Cringeworthy feed. So if you're getting our podcast, which we assume you are since we are listening to this podcast, that you, I t that you take the time to listen to those adventures because they really, I would say, since I wasn't in them and I had nothing to do with them, I would say they really do capture a lot of the really crazy, interesting parts of Hardware Hinterland, why it's fun to play as a game. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a good taste of it. If it's not to your taste, great. We have lots of other games. If it yep. is, then hey, you know, try something new, you know. Yep. Well, I think that's about it. Yep. I think we all want to go home and get some sleep. Yep. And uh, some of us have a game tomorrow, which hopefully we, you know, we'll be awake enough to knock their socks off with. 
Like Richard did. 8 o'clock? 8 o'clock. Yeah, it's, have fun with those six it's hours. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. So. Yeah, well, you know, it's... Uh, It'll be one, be 2.30 when you try to get to bed. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a programmer, so, you know, <laughs> these, uh, these, hour, these hours are my sleep. most productive, yeah. so... Well, I was coming to Gen Con. We, we got in with playtime. I still wait, stayed up until like 2 o'clock in the morning because I was so excited to come in and run games here oh, at Gen Con. Yeah. So, so we do bring to do a special Gen Con ending tag? <laughs> well, I didn't start off with one of those crazy things I yeah, usually do. Right. So, uh, magic of editing. Magic, and I could always add it in later. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I'm just going to say uh, thanks for everyone who's listened to us so far. Thanks for everyone who came to Gen Con and played in our sessions. And we hope that you have an awesome time playing RPGs and continue to encourage other people to play role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games, because it's there's something about that that you can't get anywhere else. Right. So, yeah, I, I, uh, one of the games I had tonight I had, it was a husband and wife and their three kids showed up to the table. And that was really, really awesome. Right. So and I encourage I'm, you to do that too. And I want to thank all the hosts once again for being here mm-hmm. and, and helping me bring the awesome to Gen Con. And I think we did. I think that everybody who played had good things to say yeah. and a lot of good criticisms of how we were running the game so that our yeah. next edition, our, our Savage Worlds edition, mm-hmm. is going to be really worthwhile when it comes out. Do we have a date on that yet, John? <laughs> next year. Next year. So as in, <laughs> so so you're though. saying you're saying 2013 for sure, right? Yeah. No, not no. <laughs> no, no we can draw, do it. draw the line in the sand, John. Yeah, we can do it. What I may have to do is is start a Kickstarter. Pay pay John's wages for a month, so I can take a tobacco from work. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a technical writer by trade. Some t- some days I get done with a long day of writing technical articles. Looking at what's basically another technical article. What what's the phrase of my neighbor? <laughs> For a substantial donation to John's PayPal account. Yeah. Well, actually, John, if you want to do that, we're, we're, we'll get you behind that. I mean, yeah. if, if that's what it takes, if it mm-hmm. takes you getting a, taking a month off and having having the rest of us get behind you and pay you, yeah. let's find out if there's that. I think the Kickstarter is a great idea yeah. because it lets you know how interested other people are in your product. Oh, and I've seen role-playing companies just start up Kickstarters and the devoted fan base just blows the limit out like, in, in what you would think is like an incredibly short time. And I've also yeah. seen it even with my friends in Dementia Radio. They've just, yeah, yeah Kickstarter for a new album. Boom. Well, I tell 200% folks, in three days. You know? If I do start a Kickstarter and we do blow past what I would consider my minimum wage, $5,000, uh, I would go toward probably special print editions of the game. Well, Maybe your stretch goals. That, that's yeah, stretch goals. Yeah, no, well, I was um, trying to remember the stretch goals. Well, that, yeah, that would actually, I think, be part of your, your, your thing anyways. I think there's certain levels they would yeah. get a printed version. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So, guys, uh, you know, keep an eye out. We'll, we'll definitely post that on our Facebook if John decides to do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you Steve, know. Steve, thank you again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I want to make sure it's, right late. it's late. It's late. Right. As we said, it's 2 in the morning that we're doing this. Right. Thank you for joining us, and this drama deck is fantastic. Again, you'll right. let us know how... What's, what's yes. it it's called again? I never actually gave you the name of it. It's Clockwork Drama, and it's one Kickstarter right now. It'll be on there until September 15th. Even if the Kickstarter fails, I will go to print with this. So how's it doing right now, as of right now? It's at 62%. And how many days more to go? Uh... September 15th, so what, three more weeks? Oh, you're going to make it. Yeah. 
<laughs> if you give Blix the information, then we can get it on our site as far as how to go about it. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely. Okay. We'll, well, definitely we'll, no, we'll hawk this definitely. This is, we've all looked we'll at put it on our Facebook page. And, then, oh, well, right, and now that we've all seen it, we all we can, we can talk yeah. about it on our Facebook as well. Oh, yeah. So that, oh, that'll be a big help. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We hope that we've once again brought the awesome uh, to you, or at least regarding how <laughs> much. On, awesome. How much, well, how much people have enjoyed themselves at Gen Con playing the TriTag games. And we'll have more for you next week but until then this is bruce sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there so go explore them this is john ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in this is blix don't hate the game hate the players this is amber it's all fun and games until the dm rolls a one and this is trav there's a reason why it's called gaming it's for having fun Yo, brothers, this was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.